from runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 851, Modernizing Your Scripting Using RPA with guest Christina Wheeler, recorded Monday, September 10th, 2022. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts, LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Hi, this is Richard Campbell. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio. My guest today is Christina Wheeler, who is an MVP and a director of innovation at Core BTS and a technical trainer specializing in Power Platform, Business Intelligence, Modern Workplace, SharePoint, and Microsoft Teams and a well-known Microsoft 365 expert who works in development, administration, branding, and training with over 20 years of experience. Uh, third trip to the show? I don't know. At some point, the I have to send you a Subway second? sandwich. Good, yeah. good question. <laughs> <laughs> I think last time we talked about the Teams developer story, didn't we? Yeah, and just this recognition yeah. that Teams is not just a replacement for Skype, but is, is this whole collaborative host environment. And that's been a, a, a turning up more and more in our conversations about what this sort of modern workplace looks like. But you live on a funny edge, too, because not everybody gets to use the cloud the same way, right? There's all kinds of other aspects of modernization that, that are different from place to place. You know, I'm, I'm very, I'm actually very excited to share what I've been doing for the last year or, or two. Mm-hmm. Is that since the, you know, since the the last show we had, I've been doing a lot of uh, building solutions to help organizations automate or helping them with their digital transformation. To where a lot of companies, especially in government, have these processes where they're still tied to these legacy systems, where there's no cloud API available to mm. tap into these systems, or they also have to stay on these systems because. They can't completely move, you know, maybe there's some transition to get them moved into something else, but they're stuck with it, what they're at. And so there's so many manual processes that are being done. And so um, this is where I want to talk about RPA. So robotic process automation. Where are the robots in that? <laughs> Let's talk about <laughs> RPA. <laughs> so I, I actually became new to RPA. Um, I, I got introduced to RPA last year when I was working in a vendor role at Microsoft, right. helping to run the Power Automate RPA Partner Program, which I had a blast. And, um, you know, I was already strong in Power Ops and Power Automate. But then there's this RPA. What is that? It was new to me. Yeah. And then that's when I learned about Power Automate Desktop. Now, RPA is not new it's something that's been around for quite a while. There's other companies that have products such as UiPath and Automation Anywhere and stuff. But but before I dive into the, what the actual product is, let's talk about RPA. Yeah. So have you ever had a process, or maybe you don't now, but, you know, or I had customers that have a process where it's still very manual for them? Yep. Okay. Step-by-step populating a spreadsheet or, you know, pulling in files from the sources, like they're literally working through a checklist and a Word document? Yep. So this is where RPA can help. Um, I have a couple of different use cases. Uh, one of them was with, I helped out last year, Kona Services, mm-hmm. which is a part of Coca-Cola. Wow. They had a use case where they do these pricing promotions and um, they have, get these emails from Body Armor that has Excel files that has this data they need to extract from it. Okay. Well, Body Armor is not going to change their process. No. Kona Services came and asked, we can't change Body Armor's process, but is there a way we can help automate our side of the process to to eliminate some of this manual processes that are being done. Right. 
Well, Kona Services, what somebody was doing was they would have this inbox, get the files, save the files off, and then they ran manually, you know, triggered a macro to extract this data that we that they wanted. So what we ended up doing was building a bot. We use what's called Power Automate Desktop. Okay. And it's a desk, it's the odd power automate side. You have the cloud side where you can build cloud flows. And then you have the desktop side where it's a, you know, you install it on the desktop and it has these actions. So where you can do all sorts of things, hmm. you can record, you can screen scrape, you can record logging into a website or pulling a file off a file share or pulling a file off SharePoint. I mean, there's all these different things you can do, but what was happened is we build the bot where it's monitoring this inbox and then the bot extracts those files, puts it, we're running this Power Automate desktop mm -hmm. on a VM in Azure. Right. And so it's it's on constantly. We're running the bot continuously. And what it does, it takes the files, puts it on the file system, and then the bot executes a macro to extract the data it needs. Hmm. So they already had that macro, right? Or maybe I, modif I, I may have modified it a little. I think right. I did. So, but taking that macro to extract the data it needs, then it converts that data into a flat file. And then the bot pushes that flat file up to Azure blob storage and from there the data gets picked up and gets imported into snowflake interesting so i like that use case a lot <laughs> yeah because my instinct would be to do with this with a logic app oh logic apps are great right and you probably could right um but uh and, and you know there's there's things that i've built too mm -hmm. where i've tied everything together where i have a cloud flow that maybe calls a logic app and then the logic app might call the bot you know there's you can tie all these different pieces together yeah yeah these are a bunch of different pieces but i like the idea that so you're going to create a VM with a desktop OS in it, Correct. running in the cloud. Correct. That is that has a, a copy of Outlook in it, monitoring a, monitoring a mailbox, and when the mail arrives, it kicks off this desktop flow. Yes. To do all those steps and ultimately feed the file, the feed the resulting data into a data store like Snowflake. Yes. Wow. Absolutely. And you didn't replace a lot of the existing workflow. You just kind of took the human out of the loop. Exactly. That's what I did. All right. Because all, all so often, we always have this conversation about greenfielding this stuff. Let's just make it a new way. And you're kind of coming at it from a point of view of, I'm just going to take the person out of the loop, but use a lot of the existing code. There's a lot of processes that companies have in place that they can't, you know, maybe you can look at it and say, hey, can we do a full rewrite here? And a lot of times you can't. No. And and you have these crucial business processes that you cannot stop from moving. So what I like to do is look at, okay, what do you currently have? What pieces of these can we automate? Right. And how can we automate? You also haven't eliminated the manual workflow if they want to use it. Like Correct. you're not taking the old thing away. They're still depending on Correct. the same kind of code. So if they did want to go and do it by hand, you know, stop the VM, go do it by hand. No, nothing's broken. Correct. Oh, yeah, like absolutely. That. That's really compelling, right? It's just like, and it also allows that gradual transition. You're, you're yes. still depending on the same chunk of code, whether they're doing it manually or doing it with this automation. Yes. Wow. I have, a, I have another use case too. So this is on the government side. Mm -hmm. uh, what I discovered recently is that GCC does not have office scripts. GCC is the government cloud. Correct. GCC is the government cloud. Okay. So in the government cloud, um, in the public cloud, what a lot of people are doing is if they had macros that were running, we're either taking them and, and maybe fully automating what the logic was in the macro, automating it in a cloud flow. Right. Well, or if you needed to run some stuff, you would convert your macros, rewrite them in Office Scripts. Okay. Well, Office Scripts is not in cloud or not in GCC. GCC. I meant yeah. GCC. Right. Correct. So I had to come up with another way. 
And that's where RPA ended up being a good fit because we still needed to run these scripts. We couldn't convert them to office scripts because discovered it wasn't a GCC. So for this use case, what was done was they had these Excel files in a file share. Mm-hmm. They have to continue to work with these files, and they but they needed to kind of lock it down a little more and have a process. So I took these files and dumped them in a SharePoint site. And right. yes, I still use SharePoint as my data backend a lot, okay? But hey, come on, <laughs> let's tell the truth here, right? Like if you're using M365, there's still plenty of SharePoint in your life, whether you look at it or not. If you're using Teams, yeah, you're using you SharePoint in OneDrive. Yeah, absolutely. Right. A lot of organizations don't understand that SharePoint and uh, OneDrive is the backbone of Teams. Yeah, they're, they're, the, they're the underpinnings. And if you create, if you have a Teams project, a particular name, and you create a SharePoint project of the same name, they just connect together. Or typically, you do it the other way. You have an existing SharePoint project. And if you create a Teams of that name, it just locks into the existing SharePoint instance. Yes. SharePoint Online, anyway. But SharePoint Online. Yeah. Yes, definitely. It's just a way so, to structure files and 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 uh, metadata and things. Like It's not a big deal. SharePoint's a data store. Yeah. Right? It's a data all. store, right? Um, so we got these files, and I put them in a SharePoint site, put metadata on it, but, you know, specific metadata that would help with the app and mm-hmm. built a power app to be the front end interface canvas app i love building canvas apps okay yes model driven is great but i'm i'm a canvas app girl i love canvas apps um i think too because i have a graphic design background oh, i yeah. used to build websites right i just i used to be a dotnet developer shockingly i don't really touch visual studio code anymore oh <laughs> not vs you're not even vs code because i'm finding more and more fo- sysadmins i know i do i do do vs code i yeah. do do vs code but I, it's for, for other studio. things right yeah for other things um but i i i, I love the power platform mm-hmm. and you know so what i did was built a power app to be the front end interface right so basically they have to you know the users of this app have to create this file and it has to be used from a, a specific excel template mm-hmm. and this once they create the file it has to populate certain data based upon the options that they chose in the app to create the file well where rpa comes into place is that i need specific data to populate into this file and a lot of this right now is done behind the scenes with a macro okay Okay, and we still have to run that because when I got involved, I realized the macro was so complex and what was being done that it was that would have been a whole separate project, and there's just no time to do that right now. Right. So I said, okay, what's the best way we can transition you to still improve your process, but not replacing it 100%? And that's where I went the SharePoint route, Power Apps route, Power Automate, and RPA. Now, where it comes into place is that I have a bot that runs in the back end. So what happens is, is that in the Power App, it triggers, uh, I use Power Automate, just the CloudFlow, to create that file that they needed. Right. It saves it in the SharePoint document library. And then I have a bot that runs behind the scenes to run the macros to implement the, the data into that file mm-hmm. for that user. So they don't, because before they were having to do all this manual, they'd have to create the file on a file share. They clicked on this button that triggered the macro right. to populate what they needed and they wanted to make that all automated. Yeah. Make and it so I was flow. able to accomplish that with RPA. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And, and part of the challenge here, I think is there, cause every time I hear power app, I think cloud, but they've put the power moniker on stuff that isn't necessarily cloud. Oh no. They're so they're in the cloud when it comes to using the power app and right. having the documents in SharePoint, but where the desktop side comes into place is where I actually have to run macros, which cannot be run in the cloud. Right. And because it can't use Office scripts, so I have it to where a cloud flow can trigger a desktop flow. 
Okay. So I have a cl- my cloud flow that after it creates the file, it triggers the desktop flow to run the macro. Right. And so what that desktop flow does, it extracts that file from SharePoint or it opens the file from SharePoint directly mm-hmm. um, in the actions. And then it runs the macro, populates the data, saves the file. And then the user gets a response back in the Power App to let them know that the file is, that it's been done. is, is ready. That's so been what's done. the trigger into from the cloud flow into the desktop flow? So the, the trigger is when you... You can, there's actions in the cloud flows where you can call a desktop flow. Okay. And so what it is, is you, you're connecting with, uh, I'm using a service account. Right. So I'm connecting with that service account and then it allows me to choose the machine it's running from because you have these, um, you have these ways of, of managing all these desktop flows. Mm-hmm. So I can choose that, put in the required information into the connector. Right. And then it'll trigger it. Okay. So, and you have two ways. You, you have unattended, you have attended flows. And you have unattended. Okay. Attended flows is if so, you know that that you know there's a con- that account is constantly logged into the computer. Unattended flows where the bot can run and you can't be logged into the computer and it'll just continue to run. So right. you're not waiting for um, interaction. So there's there's you know different ways, different types of of the desktop flows that you can create. I get it. Okay. Any and even when we're talking about desktop flow, that still could be a VM in the cloud. It doesn't actually have yes. to be a desktop machine. No, no. And so when I initially started this, I ran it off the laptop that I had mm-hmm. to do the project. So I had Power Automate Desktop running in there, and I used it for my initial test to do a proof of concept to say, okay, great, this is working. Then I transitioned it to where uh, they have a VM created. Uh, so, you know, for Kona services, we created a VM in the cloud. We have two VMs. We have one of them that's their dev pad or their QA, you know, for developing the pad flows. And then right. we have the production one VM to run the actual production flows. Okay. Yeah. And so then you can inspect it closely when you're running on the, straight on the desktop. But kind of when you go into production, you're pushing it up to that VM, even though that yes. VM is actually a desktop OS and so forth. So it's a, it's a good match of your test, play, your test platform and your production platform are essentially the same. Yes. Different locations. And the good thing about Pad is that it can run. It doesn't have to be on a server. You can run it on a Windows 11 machine, Windows 10, right? right? It doesn't matter. It just has to be a computer that's connected that can connect to the cloud. Right. Because Pad still connects to your tenant. Because most of the time when I think about Pad, I think about power users automating sure. a few things. This idea that the admins can take advantage of this to simplify people's work and to sort of eliminate yes. the the person in the middle of that work and say, now this is just when the email arrives, everything just happens. Yes. You're you're all good. There's a lot of places to use that. It's an interesting tool. Oh, it is. You know, I think some, I can't remember, maybe it was um, Victor Vilan. He He's Microsoft MVP. Mm-hmm. I think it was him or it was someone else who automated something with Pat at home for his kids. Nice. I have to find that use case and repost it on Twitter or something because I just thought it was great. Because, yeah, yeah. you know, the great thing about Power Automate Desktop is it comes um, it comes for free by default in Windows 11 machines. Right. And you could download it for Windows 10 as well. So even the home user can decide to play around with this. You know, where the licensing comes into place is when you want to actually publish it and run it in the cloud. Right. Where you want that automation piece. Right. Yeah. But if you you can you can play around with it locally and trigger it manually. And it's, it's really fun. Um, the other thing I recommend for people, if you want to learn more about Power Automate Desktop, mm-hmm. go to the MS Learn and just do a search there for, um, they have a whole learning path on Power Automate Desktop. Mm-hmm. I would say if you're new to Power Automate and the Power Platform, start with some of the stuff which is learning the cloud flows and then go through the training stuff to learn Power Automate Desktop. 
And the other thing that people can do too is they could sign up if they're learning cloud flows, they could sign up for an N365 developer tenant, which gives you a sandbox environment. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then you have a place to actually experiment with this. Is it just part of yes. your existing M365 license? Uh, so no, uh, the developer tenant, and I forgot what short URL I had for that, but you can just do a search for M365 developer tenant. Mm-hmm. And then what you can do is you sign up for a free account. Um, to sign up, I use one of my personal you know, uh, Microsoft accounts yeah. or a personal email address to sign up. Um, I think you can use your business as well, mm-hmm. but you sign up and what it'll do is you can only have one dev tenant per email address. Okay. So you, you would have whatever email address you use, you could sign up with one dev tenant. Right. What it gives you is 25 E5 licenses. Wow. And I may have talked about this on the previous show. I can't remember, mm-hmm. but that's what I recommend people can use. And you can also on there, you, you can do power automate desktop and then you can get a trial for, for the RPA. If you wanted to actually test the real automation side of it. Okay. That's what I'd recommend. They're 90 day renewables, right? They, they're free. As long as you're using it, it's yeah. auto renews every 90 day. And it's as long as you're using it. So what happens is, is it, you know, if it tracks that there's a process in the back end that Microsoft runs, apparently that if there's no telemetry on your tenant, it'll expire and you'll right. get a warning letting yeah. you know it's about to expire. But then I've had one of mine for a couple of years now. It auto renews because I use it to prototype in. Right. And to learn and, and to, you know, to learn. Yeah. Keep that work away. Well, and Microsoft's always been pretty good about giving us places to learn that won't yes. necessarily impact the business. And Christina, I need to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. This episode of Run As is brought to you by the Azure Data Conference at the MGM Grand Hotel in Las Vegas, December 4th to 9th. You've heard the data Q&A shows published on Run As twice a week from the conference. That is a microcosm of the six days of fantastic learning available to you from the real-world consultants and members of the Azure Data team that speak at the show. Learn proven problem-solving techniques and technologies you can implement immediately and gain insight into Microsoft's data strategies for the cloud and on-premises. Get answers to performance monitoring, troubleshooting, designing for scale and performance, working in the cloud, and exploring all the new features of the latest versions of Azure Data and Microsoft SQL Server. And if you still have questions by the end of the week, join the conference's closing session and be part of the Data Q&A show on Run As Radio. The Azure Data Conference is at the MGM Grand Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada, December 4th to 9th. Use code RUNAS to get a discount on your registration at azuredataconf.com, and I'll see you there. And we're back. It's Run As Radio. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Christina Wheeler. We're talking a little bit about robotic process automation. Turns out it doesn't involve robots. Um, but it is about, I don't know, this modernizing of scripting, right? Just more yes. sophisticated scripts all around to take a bunch of the scripts that our power users have built in Excel and elsewhere in Office that we've had to build to simplify things and kind of glue this together at another level without having to re-engineer the whole thing. And that that's pretty exciting to just get some more automation around that. Well, I kind of look at it this way. If you have a process that you want to try to automate, but there's no cloud API or any API that you can use to tap into that, this is where RPA can help. Right. And then the other aspect of this is what's the account it's going to use? Like, I can't imagine we're going to want a separate account if we're going to stick a VM in the cloud, even running a desktop OS. Like, that shouldn't be a Use a service account. 
Use a service, service account. account. Yeah. Use a service account. Yeah. And then the privileges are purely based on what's it trying to execute against. Yes. Okay. And depends on your process. So, uh, you know, there's no one size fits all. It's always depending upon you look at what what is your issues? What is your process? What are you trying to automate? And then you look at what are the tools you have available? Mm -hmm. What are the options? And this is where I'm really big on prototyping. Right. Do a quick prototype. To see what works. Yeah. Because, and then that's how you, you know, I love prototyping because that's how you can figure out the pieces. Okay. Oh, this works really well. We can do that. This is how I ran into the issue with Office Scripts. I didn't know Office Scripts wasn't in GCC. Right. So when I went to go tie in this other piece together with the Cloudflow, I'm like, like oh, where did wait this a minute. go? I can't do this. <laughs> so I had to come up with another way, which I did. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and sure enough, there was a tool out there to do it with too. Right. Um, yes. which that's always the question mark is like, is there a path forward on this? Can you, can you work it out? The other thing I like about the dev sandbox approach, this whole idea is it's also a way to figure out, do you understand all the pieces of the existing macros? Like yes. you, you're looking at a workflow, but you don't know what little hidden dependencies it has. So the fact that you could pick up that spreadsheet with those macros in it and so forth and take it out of its home environment, run it in a sandbox. And if it breaks, then you know, oh, it's got a dependency that exists somewhere else that you can now have to go dig up and actually get your head around everything those macros do. Because, I mean, I don't know about you, I have bumped into Excel macros that are decades old. Oh, yeah. but And, and that's the thing, though, because I'll have some people that will say, or consultants will say, Christina, macros, why are they doing macros? This is, look, this was the part of their business that has ran for a very long time. Yeah. It's not broke. No. And they can't, I mean, they can't completely rewrite it. Sure. So if it's a, something simple, okay, fine. Maybe we can redo that in a Cloudflow or a Logic app. Yeah. But some of these are so complex, pulling from Oracle, pulling from SQL, doing all these things, mm -hmm. right? And that is like, okay, you you approach it based upon what the limitations and need is at the time. Yeah. I think. Well, and also the, you may not, the person who wrote it may not be around anymore. Like they depend oh, on that. That's true. Thing. That's true. It's like, <laughs> you don't even, you don't even know where to start. And that, I mean, that is yep. a good case for this should be on the re-engineering list because it is yes. a vulnerability if it breaks. But at the same time, it's like, I just need to make this better. Can we get this one thing? Like it needs to go one other place and so forth. And a re-engineering is just too much. Well, you can also re-engineering, but I, I also can see this as an interim step where yeah. you say, okay, we want to re-engineer this 100%, but we realize this is a huge task to take on that we want to take on, but it's going to, maybe it's going to take a year and a year and a half to get it rebuilt from scratch. Mm -hmm. So then that's where I look at, okay, what can we improve on your process now in the meantime? Yeah. And at the same time, not you're going to learn more about the existing code that you're ultimately going to need to redo anyway. Yep. You're going to be, you know, that sandbox is going to, going to serve you about understanding its dependencies. And you're going to build some things you're likely going to need. Yeah. You know, probably. Like some of them are going to have a few shims in them just to work with the old code. But that whole, it, it's like, you know, when I'm getting them, we're throwing out developer terms here. It's like wrapping tests around an existing code base because you learn it in the process. Yep. You exercise these old scripts in this new way, you're going to get a handle on what they do. And that's going to make you more confident to say, okay, if we were going to re-engineer these, it would look like this. Yes. And you could take those pieces apart, know how they're going to work and, and then assemble it into something that's more maintainable in the long term. Yes. Agreed. I'll, yeah. It's really, yeah. An interesting aspect of this. It's, it's not just a workaround. I mean, it's most people, again, when I talk about pad, it's like, ah, it's a user tool. But no, this, yeah, this seems no. like magic powers. It's not, it's not a, yes. I mean, you can have, like I mentioned, the home user can have it on their computer and learn how to use it. Yes. But as I started getting in the manufacturing space or the vertical, that's when I learned too that 
they've been using RPA for a long time. Like Kona Services was already using RPA, but they were using UiPath. Right. And the use case happened to be it says, hey, we're like we're using Office 365. We see that, you know, that that's where they came to Microsoft. They said, you know, we see that you guys have Power Automate Desktop now. You have an RPA tool. Can we just redo, you know, the evaluation was to see, can we take these use cases that are in UiPath and mm-hmm. rebuild them and make them work in PAD? Right. So that's what happened because they were making a decision. Are we going to stay on UiPath or are we going to, you know, we would love to just stay on Microsoft because we're already invested yeah, in all already, these other areas at Microsoft. It's already a bill we're paying, right? Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, where that came into place. And we successfully did the use cases, um, you know, and, and I love the product group that, that works on the tool. Uh, Microsoft bought Softomotive. And so a part of the Softomotive team now is on the PowerCat team. I worked with them last year and I absolutely love them. Oh, wow. And, okay. you know, the great thing is, is that they're continuing to improve the product. And, you know, UiPath's definitely been around a lot longer. So sure. there's features and functionality. But but Pad has come a long ways, too, from when, you know, uh, that came out. So it's um it's exciting. and I And I love to learn new things. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's why I shifted off of SharePoint because I was at SharePoint 100% at one point in my life. No, you've got all the books in my and things for, for SharePoint. Oh, yeah, you've I forgot about all, that. <laughs> all those things. Yeah, we don't talk about that. But I, I think, the, you know, the point you're making there is like RPA is not new. It's just new to Microsoft through, through acquisition. Were. It's been a couple of years. Yeah. yeah. But it also means like the whole power platform to me, especially early on, was a bunch of products they renamed that may or may not have had a lot to do with each other. But it does seem to be coming together more now. You know, it does. And it's funny because I have a hat somewhere still that has a space, like no space. It's power apps, no space. Right. But then, you know, my marketing, I get it. All of a sudden, marketing at Microsoft said, we're going to make power space apps. <laughs> <laughs> and I get it, right? Because they're like power space BI, power space automate, right? right. So, uh, but no, you know. I look at it this way. You look at the transition is people getting off info platforms are now starting to build power apps to replace those info platforms. People that were running SharePoint designer workflows are now moving to Power Automate. Mm -hmm. But Power Automate is so much more powerful than going just to build an old school SharePoint designer workflow. Yeah. And then Power BI, absolutely love, 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 love Power BI. Mm -hmm. And Power BI is what brought me back to the cloud. And but but tying those all together, there's still, you know, uh, Power Apps and Power Automate is, you know, you have that nice integration together. Power BI. Now, now you can actually trigger you can trigger a flow from uh, a Power BI report. So there are the Power Apps and and, and, uh, Power Automate visuals Mm -hmm. that are now available in Power BI. Nice. But it took a while before that became available. I still also think from a Power App standpoint, there's so much more I still would like to be able to do in Power BI. And I think the users would like to be able to do. So I would love to help with that story there. I don't know what's being involved in that story, but but I, I, I see the potential and I see, you know, like I said, the, con- the products continue to improve. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we need, I think that's where help needs to be done on yeah. that integration story. But I, but I see the potential there and I, I think, you know, it's going to get better and better. Yeah. So they are progressing in the right direction. I mean, Power BI is the original power product. The, uh, yeah, the, I would the, say so. The names came <laughs> to it otherwise. Yes. So it's, but it's good to see they're starting to interact and clearly there's more places for them to, to unify the suite and make it work together better. It's not just about data analytics. It's about all of these other things as well. Inputting data, triggering yeah. stuff to execute, to push data, right? Mm-hmm. All these different things. You know, there's connectors now in Power Automate where you can manipulate data sets, like a Power BI data set. Okay. So 
there's there's things. I I'm still haven't played around with all of that 100%, so I'm not going to claim to be that expert yet. Sure. But I've been having some fun in, in figuring out what can be done and what can't be done right now. Yeah. But but I see the 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 features continually to improve. Yeah. And to to do more automations in those spaces, be able to pick more things up. Although, yeah, we're yep. all trying to get to a place where we can analyze data more effectively. So I appreciate the story of pulling stuff from a spreadsheet that's emailed in and putting it into a new location. Like that's just another ETL process, really. Yeah, you know, yeah exactly. That then allows us to have access to the data in a broader view after massaging it to our standards, whatever that may look like. Exactly. But you're also not trying to cram it down an SSIS pipe. Right. You're Correct. taking it from where it came from and getting it to the place it needs to go to with tools that the folks that are responsible for that data understand. Yep, exactly. Yeah. No, it's it's a much more amendable thing. I think it's very easy to talk about the pure greenfield, use the latest tools for everything solutions. I like this. Okay, we got this stuff to live with. How are we still gonna glue it together and but at least get it closer to those ideal configurations, not further away. And some organizations may not be able to be 100% cloud, and that's understandable. Yeah. But that's, like I said, where all these different pieces are extremely helpful of what you can integrate and where you can plug that all in together. Yeah. And just understanding that just because it's got the power moniker on it doesn't mean it's cloud only. Exactly. It can, it can run somewhere else. So I get that Microsoft's probably incented for us to use more cloud. But they've also put products in so that our desktop and on-prem stuff can work with it as well. Yeah, um, definitely. Christina, where do folks go for more info? Um, like I said, if you want to learn more about the Power Platform, and uh, if you just if you just want to learn about the product itself, mm -hmm. go to you know for Power Apps, go to PowerApps.com. Right. Go to PowerAutomate.com, um, PowerBI.com. You know for the Power Platform stuff. Mm -hmm. And then if you actually want to dive in technically, well, there's documentation and stuff on there uh, for both. You know business users, end users, and to also technical people, and then go to MS Learn, go through those. There's, you know, as you know, I think we talked about before, the documentation has Oof. so nice now. It's so weird that the docs are great. Like The docs are great. Years they and years of making good. fun of them. And now yeah, it's they like, used to not be uh, great. Yeah, it'll really help you. Yeah. It's really, it's astonishing. No, they're didn't doing a phenomenal job. And then you can also, you know, find me on Twitter and LinkedIn too, if you want to uh, connect You're with around. me uh, personally. And you'll be out. You'll be out at some of the shows. Are you going to try and make it to Ignite? Uh, I'm not not going to go to Ignite. I'm just going to attend virtually this year. Yeah. And unfortunately, I wish I was going to the Power Platform Conference, but I'm actually and not unfortunately. I mean, what happened is there's two events happening at the same time. I'm speaking at the Experts Conference, which I love. Right. It's just bittersweet because the Power Platform Conference is going on too, and I want to be at both places yeah. at the same time. It's hard. And I can't do that. No. I cannot do that. We haven't so. we haven't solved that problem yet. Uh, Christina, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Great to talk to you. It was great to talk to you too. Thank uh, you so much. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio. Mm -hmm.